I invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, you will find that on page 487 in your pew Bibles. 2 Samuel chapter 12. We will read through verse 23. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 23. Before we read the word, let us pray that the Lord would bless it to our hearts this evening. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come before you, we ask for your blessing upon your, the hearing of your word this evening. May it engage our minds, mold our hearts, that we may go from this place to be your children in the world where you have called us to be. Lord, be with your servant. Help him to speak your truth. May your people have attentive ears, and may we go from this place according to your calling, according to your grace, that we may spread your gospel to your people here in this world. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord, as we find it in Samuel 12, 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave, you your, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have even given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord in doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, went into his house, and spent the nights lying on the ground. 
The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, well, the child was still living. We spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Thus far the reading of God's word. People of God, beloved in the Lord, as we look at this passage this evening, it's a fairly familiar passage to most of us. The story of the parable of the ewe lamb, Nathan's rebuke to David, something that many of us have heard from pretty young age. But we don't really get to hear much what happens afterwards. We don't really think much beyond David confessing his sin. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Boom. That ends at verse 13. But that's not where the passage ends. The passage continues. Nathan leaves the house and the Lord strikes the child of Uriah's wife. The child that had been conceived when David committed adultery. It's a sad story. It's a story that is a warning to us all. At this point you might be saying, Josh, it's the Christmas season. We're supposed to be happy and joyful. Why are you giving us such a sad story to finish the year? Well... Because where one son of David pays a price, because of David's sin, another son of David pays the price because of all of our sins. The death of one, we have questions about. We might not understand to its fullest. But the death of the other, the death that was foretold, for thousands of years is the one that we still praise today. The one that we celebrate every Sunday. The one that we sing about. The one that gives grace and mercy. So we're going to look at this passage this evening. We're going to break it up in a series of 
call and responses. There's three of them. First is the parable delivered by God through his servant Nathan, and then David's response of his righteous anger. Then comes God, Nathan's rebuke, David's acknowledgement, God's forgiveness, but then the consequences of David's sin. So again, the parable, and then David's righteous anger, the rebuke that is issued through Nathan, David's acknowledgement, the forgiveness of God, but the consequences of the sin. So the first thing we look at in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 specifically, is the common parable. There was a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had many cattle, many sheep. But the poor man had one ewe lamb. The difference between the one and the many. All we know about the rich man's sheep is that he had a lot of them. Sheep and cattle. Not just some ducks or some chickens. Not just a little bitty side farm. Not just a flock that he and his family could subsist off of. But he had many. So much so that he probably had no clue as to who they were, what they were, any of their little conditions or how they acted. No, he had a very large number, verse 2 tells us. But the poor man, juxtaposed to this rich man, had one ewe lamb. It's a little lamb. He had bought it. He raised it. It grew up with his children. It became more of a pet than a farm animal. It shared from his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. He grew so close to this one little lamb that it was like a daughter. And no, I don't mean whenever you see on Facebook somebody talks about I am the mother of this dog or that dog or mother of this cat or that cat. I'm not talking about that. Although pets can very much seem like family. But this one here, an animal that's typically used for just about everything in Israel. Sacrifice. Could be used for milk or even for breeding to create a larger flock. And yet, all we know is that he had this one little lamb. Now a traveler comes to the rich man. Not the poor man, but the rich man. A traveler. A guest. In fact, the language used here is a sojourner. So maybe even not somebody who's relatively familiar with the rich man. Maybe just someone who he's trying to impress. Maybe somebody who's just kind of passing through and this is the Middle Eastern or Israelite hospitality. Come on in. Let's wash the dust off your feet. Let me get a meal ready for you. 
But instead of taking from the wealth of his own flocks, in a word, he swipes the widow's mite. The two copper coins that might be all he had. This rich man thinks nothing of his own to give generously. But rather, generosity is so much easier when it doesn't come from my own pocket. The rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal and instead steals the ewe lamb, the lamb who had become a daughter, the one who had grown up with this man's children. David burns with anger after hearing this parable. It's so unfair. He responds in this righteous, uproarious anger. A man who has so much takes from one who has so little. A man who has cattle and sheep so great that he can't number them. And yet instead takes the one who means so much to the poor man. He treats his neighbor with contempt. He takes away a source of food. He takes away a source of companionship. He takes away a source of loving joy in that home. And he does so for selfish reason. David burns with anger. He has taken so much. He has taken everything from this man. He should die for it. The man deserves to die, according to David. And he even quotes Levitical law in verse 6. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Exodus 22 specifically states in the law according to property, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, He shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. David knows the law. He is so indoctrinated by the law. He is so familiar with the law. He is a man after God's own heart to the point where even in his anger, he quotes the law of God and says, Here, you deserve to die, but you pay fourfold because that's what the law says. How dare one person do that to another? He did it with no pity. David says he had no consideration, not for what the lamb meant, not for what his neighbor felt, not even anything else, even if it was a mistake that it happened. He did such a thing with no pity at all.
you have to wonder if David realized exactly what had happened as soon as he had said those words. When Nathan the prophet looks him dead in the eye and says, you are the man. In our Bibles, it is emphasized with an exclamation point. I can tell you right now that the original Hebrew text did not have exclamation points at the time. That is a modern derivative, but it almost seems adequate here. You never know if the Lord is going to speak to you with force or if the word of God, like it comes to Elijah, speaks softly and yet it's so much more convicting. David, King David, the one who ruled in Hebron, who was declared king over Judah, and then eventually, after a small civil war, became king over all Israel, who was a man after God's own heart, who had started stockpiling resources so that not only a palace, but that a temple could be built. The one who was told by God, you are a man of blood, your hands have shed blood, you will not build my home. And yet still wanted to be a pursuer of what God wanted in his life. And the words ring out. David, you are the man. You're caught in the act. David, we gave you the son of, or the daughter of Saul after you paid the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. You still got your wife there. After you were so angry that you could have killed And yet, God works against your enemies and you get Abigail as a wife. Not only that, but you take a third, a Hinoan. And you have other concubines. David, look at how much you have. You have mighty men. You have a commander of the army that is intelligent, tactically wise. You have silver and gold that you have acquired through subjugation of your enemies across the borders. You have attacked and beat the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. All of the people that God had declared that the people of Israel should subjugate and wipe out, you have finished that work. And yet it wasn't enough. 
You are the man. And God, through his prophet Nathan, just heaps on. David, do you realize how rich you are? I anointed you king over Israel through Samuel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul twice. One of which, in the nighttime, you walked into his camp and took the spear and the jug right by his head. In the other one, he was relieving himself in a cave and you walked up right behind him and cut off the corner of his robe. Instead of finding you, the Lord let you live. I gave you your master's house, David. I gave your master's wives into your arms. Look no further than Nabal and Saul. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, the chosen covenant people of God. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Look at the wealth in your hands. Look at the wealth with your eyes. The sin that you committed by standing on your rooftop and looking out over God's creation, if you would have instead taken the time and the cool of the evening to stand on your rooftop and look at what God has done, the hills around Israel, the hills that in our declaration of trust we lift our eyes to those hills, from whence cometh our help, our help comes in the name of the Lord. If you have lifted your eyes up instead of down. If you would have looked at all the blessings that God has given to you. Rather than looking with your own evil intention. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, took his wife to be your own. Rather than Saul dying in battle and your rightful wife being taken, rather than a man being eaten by worms, struck by the Lord, and you take his widow, rather than the Lord working to bring another to you. You go, I want that one. I want that woman there. And you don't realize that's Uriah's wife. And when you do realize it, you don't care. You take no pity. You have no thought for your fellow man. You have no understanding that you, David, are not above the law. But you are a man. 
you're a sinner. And no better than any other person, including a Hittite. One who was outside the covenant, who became part of the covenant. One who had no dealings with the people of God. One who had no dealings with the covenant God, and yet somehow becomes one of the mighty men of David. This Hittite becomes a target. And there is consequences, David. There are consequences and dire ones. You used the sword of the Ammonites for your own benefit. You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And so now that sword that you wielded for your own indignancy, you will now find in your own household. The weapon that you use to procure, you will find that its second edge will be turned upon your own house. That civil war is coming, and you cannot escape it. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. There's no weaseling out of this one. There's no way to justify what has been done. When you are faced with the Lord and his word, there is no possible way to weasel out, to justify, to kind of work your way around what it really means. I mean, after all, it wasn't that bad, was it? Well, I don't know, David, you kind of killed somebody. You slept with somebody. Oh, you slept with somebody else's wife. Okay, David, that's six and seven. Oh, you coveted two, that's nine. You didn't uphold the Lord's word. Oh, that's number three. You created an idol in your heart, the beauty of another woman, there's two. You had no regard because you were the anointed one of God. And being the authoritative one of God, you used that in a vain way. Just about the only one we can't find explicitly broken here is number four. We don't know if it was done on a Sabbath or not. But David, you caught every other one. I gave you so much. I would have even given you more. And yet you despised the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord that you know so well that even in your righteous anger you can quote it. That you know the pronouncement of the law. When one man steals another man's sheep, you pay him back fourfold. It's that part of the law that nobody likes to read right after their New Year's resolution to read the Bible in a year and you get to Leviticus and you just kind of fall away. 
but you know it so well you can quote it. David, why did you despise that law? Why did you despise the giver of that law? David acknowledges, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against the Lord. Notice how in this passage, verse 13, we don't see the words, I have sinned against the Lord. O God, please forgive me of my sin. O Lord, let me make sacrifice and restitution. There is no word here from David that says, Lord, let me make it up to you. Because David knows what the price is. I've killed a man. I've murdered in cold blood. I deserve death. I haven't just sinned against my people. I haven't just sinned against the ones that I swore to protect. I haven't just sinned against those of Jerusalem or those of Israel. I've sinned against the Lord. The giver of the law himself. The creator of all things. The one who gave me this position. I've sinned against him. Later in the Psalms he would write against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord. Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. David, you know what the price is. You know what the punishment is supposed to be. But freely. Without condition. God shows you kindness and love. In the forgiveness of your sins. But that is not a carte blanche. Notice that even though Nathan pronounces the forgiveness of sin, there is still a consequence, there is a price to the perdition that was done. Verse 14, but because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. David, you acted exactly like everybody else, but you're different. There's a law, a price will be paid. And even though you're not going to pay it, the name of the Lord is holy. And there will still be a price, a justice, that the name of the Lord would be feared. And so there are consequences to the sin. There are three specifically from verses 11 through 14. The first is that the gifts that he has given... 
They are turned into a curse. He says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you before your very eyes. I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. It doesn't take long. It takes three chapters. Within David's own family, after the catastrophe of Amnon and Tamar, where Tamar is raped by her half-brother, Absalom murders his half-brother, and then in chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, after he returns, after being in fear for a while, Absalom says, you know what? I could come back, and I know what's right and wrong. I know what justice is. My father doesn't know what justice is. Look at the way he's lived. Look at what he allowed my half-brother to do to my sister. If I was the judge, I would be the righteous judge. In fact, in chapter 15, he says that exactly. In chapter 16, Ahithophel says to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. It doesn't take long. The sword is in your own household, David. The ones who you held closest, David, are now stabbing you in the back. Your own son. And if you think it's just your son, the ones you've shared your bed with are doing it too. Oh, and by the way, it's not like you and Bathsheba who did it in the middle of the night where nobody really had to know. No, he pitched the tent up on the roof in the middle of the daytime. The sin is no longer covered by darkness, but rather it's in broad daylight for the world to see. David, you want to know the consequences of your actions? Your gifts have now been turned to curses. The second thing is that the sword will never depart from his family. Verse 10 says that specifically because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. When he was running from Absalom, David ascends the Mount of Olives in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, weeping as he goes barefoot with his head covered. It was told to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Ahithophel was the father of Bathsheba. One of David's closest advisors. The one who helped David to his place of power goes over to his son. Stabs him in the back. 
Ahithophel never forgot. Also, if you notice something specific in this passage, notice how Bathsheba is never mentioned by her name. Nathan never mentions the name Bathsheba in this entire passage. Instead, you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite. In verse 15, Uriah, the child that Uriah's wife had born. Bathsheba is never referred to as Bathsheba. She's always referred to as Uriah's wife. This is the stinging condemnation that even the writer of the book of Samuel brings to the life of David. David's meteoric rise to power, the killing of Goliath, the wonderful anointing that had happened at the hands of Samuel, the one who has won battle after battle after battle, who has gained prestige and honor, who has expanded the influence of Israel, and instead he begins his meteoric downfall. The final consequence here is the consequence of his son passing away. David, you will not die. But because you have had contempt. And the enemies of the Lord are now showing contempt. The son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. And notice, the majority of what we read past that is all about David pleading with God. He fasts, he weeps, he never leaves the area where the child is. A son, even born to him out of adultery, even though he may not even have known his name. We don't even know his name. It's been lost to history. The child is struck. And David says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Maybe, just maybe, he'll relent. But the Lord doesn't relent. The Lord does not relent. And the child dies. I want to have a brief aside here because this is a passage that people tend to use as a proof text to say, well, even David's child died and so, you know, David was this and so we can be assured. Let's take this aside real quick to talk about children that die in infancy. And this has been heavily influenced by a man that I respected and revered even to this day, Dr. Van Groningen. He passed from this world about 15, 17 some odd years ago. But as he was going through this in a teaching and he came to this passage, he said, beware. Don't use this passage as a proof text. 
Because using this passage as a proof text to prove one thing or prove another thing, you can't do that. Let's look at the facts. The child has passed. But what we know is that David was never outside of the love of God. And in fact, our own confessions in the first head of doctrine of the Canons of Dort, Article 17, states that since we are to judge the will of God from his word, which testifies that the children of believers are holy, according to 1 Corinthians, not by nature but in virtue of the covenant of grace in which they, together with the parents, are comprehended, Godly parents have no reason to doubt of the election and salvation of their children, whom it pleases God to call out of this life in their infancy. Now, while we cannot pronounce a proof text here, what we can say is David was indeed a man after God's own heart. David was squarely in the covenant of God. And so we can, understanding that the covenant is extended to us and to our children after us, that the power of God is not so weak that those who are so small leave this world without any understanding of it, that God is faithful. And that the covenant of God is so strong that we know, even reading this passage, that the son of David, when we hear in verse 23, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. The covenant children will be seen again. We have faith in that because our God is faithful and just and according to his covenant that he extends to us and to our children. We may not see them again in this life, but we will go to them in the life to come. That child that died, that child that David saw as a consequence for his sin was merely one who had passed. One who had passed because of something that had been done. And yet, there would be a greater son of David. A son of David that would die not merely for David's sin, but for the sin of us all. As Job would say, I know that my Redeemer lives. Just as David could say that I am not going to be able to bring him back, but I will go to him, so too. We have faith that David's faith was strong and true. The reason why David in verse 23 can state that I will go to him but he will not return to me is this, quite simply this. Because David's faith was that he had a redeemer and that everlasting life would be again 
his. That God's pronouncement of judgment was not merely justice without mercy. Not merely that which is made right without grace. But rather, because of a redeemer. Because of a son of David that would die on a cross. That would take the penalty for you and for me. For the sins that we have committed. For the commandments that we have broken. For the little lies that we can't get out of. And yes, even for the consequences of the sins that we have committed. The son of David, Jesus Christ, born in a manger in Bethlehem thousands of years after David would be the one ultimately to bear the penalty for David. Nathan replies to him, the Lord has taken away your sin, you are not going to die. We in our time frame, looking back upon history, can say, David, the Lord took away your sin and you are not going to die because the Lord has paid the penalty himself. Jesus Christ, the promised shoot from the stump of Jesse. After the sword would would invade David's family for generations upon generations, from the kings to the exile, finally Christ comes to bring a sword, a sword that is wielded in battle, One that Revelation tells us he will wield upon a white stallion and on his thigh will be the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is the sword that is the word of God and he will ride to victory over evil, over sin, over death. He is the first fruits. And people of God, it is that son of David that we need to look to. The story here of Nathan's rebuke, of David's admonition, is a warning to us. Yes, there is a price to perdition. But there is also a hope beyond it. There are consequences to our actions in this life. But we also know that Christ will wash us whiter than snow. That the Lord will still pronounce that he will take away our sin. And that it's not the words of the snake that come and say, you're not going to die with no authority behind them. But instead, the prophets like Nathan, you are not going to die because one has died in your place already. No, not a son of David that was born 
from Uriah's wife. But a son of David that was born of a virgin. Born under the law. Under a star. You see... After reading our passage this evening, after hearing it, even as familiar as it is, may we realize that there is no sin too great. There is no price too high. There is nothing, no height, nor depth nor angel, nor demon, nor principality, nor power that can separate us from the love of God. There is a price to perdition, but there is also a promise for the people of God. David realized that. Even though the Lord did not relent, David did not throw himself into desperation, but instead said, I will get up, I will worship, and then I will go about my life. I will not see my son that had passed. He will not return to me, but I will go to him. Because the Lord has promised a Redeemer. If you do not know that Redeemer this evening, pray. Come to one of us. Talk to us. And know that our Redeemer lives. That there is no sin that can keep you from the love of God. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, as we come before you once again this evening, we ask that we would be reminded that there is no sin that keeps us from you. That just as David realized that even though there are consequences to our actions, that there is still grace and mercy. That though those who have been lost will not be restored to us in this life, that there is a life to come and we will be restored to them. Lord, may we also always look to you, that you are our heavenly king. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the operation of the Holy Spirit. Amen.